Okay, First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Beginning at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Savannus, a faithful brother unto you as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The churches at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, so doth Marcus my son. Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The title of this message tonight, Sound Advice in a Turbulent World. Let's, let's pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have <coughs> to open your precious word. I pray that as we look into the word of God tonight, that we be encouraged, strengthened, and that your grace would be sufficient. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, we live in a world of change. Shifting winds, belief changes, spiritual and emotional unsettledness. More absolutes are seen as archaic, out of date. You know, there's an attack on our culture, particularly the home, and that attack is intense. We are considered second rate. You know, if we were just get more enlightened, well, that's kind of the idea. And, and we're being pressured to conform to what is considered normal. But I have news for you. That's the way it's always been for God's remnant. For those that live faithfully for the Lord. You know, read your Bible. And that's the way it's always been. Abraham was a minority. Lot joined the majority. Uh, and, you know, if you read through the scriptures, you'll find that that's always been the case. You know, there, uh, Jesus made that clear when he said, you know, broad is the way and many there be that go in thereat, and straight and narrow is the gate unto life, and few there be that find it. So, so this has always been the case with God's remnant. It's, it's a world that is turbulent and pressures us to conform to its mold. But the Lord here, through his apostle Peter, 
I believe, gives us some sound advice in the midst of our trials. And, and these things are always are trials that we have to endure. It's never pleasant, you know, to have to, to feel like, to made feel like you're the oddball. <laughs> but sometimes it is reality. But anyway, how do we endure this? So here's some sound advice. First of all, we have to recognize we have an enemy. There is an enemy. Verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy. Old Satan, our adversary, the accuser of the brethren, as he's called in Revelation chapter 12, who accuses us before God day and night. Remember, he accused Job before God and said that Job just served God for what he could get out of God. And if God didn't favor Job, Job wouldn't serve him. Of course, Job, through the grace of God, proved that wrong. So we have an enemy that's out to destroy us. Uh, he knows that if you're saved tonight, he knows he can't, he can't rob you of your eternal life, but he can make you a stumbling block or rob you of your joy. Uh, he robbed David of the joy of the Lord. He made David or caused David to be a stumbling block to the nation of Israel and to his own family. So we need to recognize we have an enemy. And as we think about this enemy, there's two things that we need to consider. And the and, and, and this is taught throughout Scripture. Number one, we need to be sober. Now, doesn't mean not intoxicated, although it does mean that. But it means more than that. The word sober here means to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate. There would be uh, uh, not intoxicated or not given to wine. Uh, to be temperate, dispassionate, or circumspect. Uh, in other words, we're not to we're, we're we're not to give in to our passions. Uh, we're to give consideration. We're to stay calm and resolve to do the right thing. And, and then he gives another word here that is similar, but it's. A little different. The word vigilant. So we be sober and vigilant. It means to watch. To give strict attention to. To be cautious. To take heed lest through remissness or indolence, careless, apathy. Some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So, our the advice the Lord gives us is, look, you need to be you need to be sober and you need to be vigilant. Because you do have an enemy. So we need to be constantly constantly be in the right frame of mind and constantly watching or on guard. I don't know about you, and I don't think I'm paranoid. Because I don't live in fear of this kind of thing all the time. But when I go into a restaurant, my wife knows now that I want the seat where I can see the door. Or where my back's to the wall. And usually I'm packing too, you know. But uh, you know, I, I I just like that seat. So I can see what's going on. 
That's called watching. When I'm driving, I drive defensively, especially if I'm on a motorcycle. In other words, I'm constantly watching what other drivers are doing. Um, unless there's a tractor in the field, then I'm watching the tractor. <clears throat> Just had to throw that in there because I know my wife was thinking that, and the rest of my family as well. But uh, but you know that the ideas of being on guard, being to be watching. You know, these people, think about it, these people, Peter tells us, and even here in this chapter, uh, he talks about them, they've suffered a while, but in chapter 1, you remember in verse 7, he talks about the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So these people were going through some severe trials, and, and, and as they're going through these severe trials, and as they're suffering, the Lord's counsel is, look, stay calm, Keep resolved to do what's right. Don't give in to your passions or your emotions. Be constantly on guard. Giving serious consideration to anything before you make any changes or moves. Yo, Paul, Peter here again, inspiration, uses these words several times. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch. And the word watch is the same word as vigilant. Uh, and watch. Jesus told his disciples when he went into the garden, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul and writing to the Thessalonians, who were troubled about some things, he said this, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as at the day of Christ, is at hand. So don't be soon shaken. In other words, stay calm, stay resolved to do what's right in the midst of your difficult circumstances. Ephesians 4.14 talks about not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. And, and you know, many times, and I've seen this throughout my uh, Christian life, is that when some, somebody goes through a, a severe trial, maybe it's a health trial or something, when they come out of that, they change. I remember very distinctly sitting in a... In a pastor's fellowship meeting in Altoona and uh, one of the pastors said pray for so and so and I can't remember the guy's name he pastored a big church there in Altoona and he had gone through cancer he had battled cancer and, and he was doing fairly well but he said he's changed he's not the same man and he didn't mean that in a good way what he meant was he is now compromised in his church he's let down the guard He's changed his doctrine. Not only changed his doctrine, he's changed his practice. And most of us were well aware of the situation in the man. Um, and it was, it was actually a personal friend of this guy was asking for prayer. You see, in the midst of his trial, he changed. No, God warns us, 
not to not to be soon moved. When Paul writing to the Galatians says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the gospel. And it's not to a gospel. You're moved to another gospel, which is not the gospel. Uh, Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. <clears throat> I know some of you guys like to do P90X. And... Uh, I was watching it one day, and I think Nathan was doing it in the basement before he moved out. And uh, what's the guy's name? Tony Horton was kind of talking to the people he had on, you know, on the show, you know, and and he was asking about uh, different ones what they did. And he said to this one guy, this guy was I think it, he was in the Marines, and uh, and I can't remember what all he did. And and Tony, I think it was Tony Horton said. I I gather from you that you're you're a guy that takes a lot of information to change your mind. And that's the idea here. In other words, he wasn't a guy that you would easily change his mind. You're going to have to have a lot of information, a lot of facts before he was going to be going to change. And so, and I think that's what the Lord is saying here is, look, don't don't be quick to change. You know, we need, to be, we need to hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us, but we need to thoroughly examine it before we change. Make sure it is right. Don't just, well, we hear something, just do it. Unless we, we're, we know and we're convicted about it, that it's certain that it is, is right. But, so we need to be careful, uh, especially in times of trial or difficulty. Uh, we're to be sober, be vigilant. Secondly, so we have to recognize we have an enemy. Secondly, we're to resist our enemy. Notice verse 9. He says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in their brethren that are in the world. So we're to resist our enemy. The word uh, resist means to stand against. James 4 and verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the, the secret to resisting the devil is obeying the Lord. That is the key. And so, we are to resist by being steadfast. He said, resist steadfast in the faith. Uh, the word steadfast means to have, to be firm, to be resolved, to be determined. You know, Daniel had purposed in his heart. He had resolved, he had determined that he was going to obey the Lord. Even though he was taking from his homeland, taking from his family, and put in a foreign land, a foreign culture, uh, foreign foods, foreign language, everything was foreign and, and different, he had determined he was going to do what was right. He'd already set that in his heart. But you know, we have to be steadfast in something. You know, David, <clears throat> you know, David was shaken from his steadfastness by Saul. And the devil gave him Ziklag. Remember that? First Samuel chapter 27. 
David finally says, he kind of, you know, I can picture him. He kind of threw up his hands and say, you know, one day Saul's going to get me. I just may as well flee to to the Philistines, to Achish, king of Gath, the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. I may as well just go over there and stay there until Saul, something happens to Saul. I mean, God's protected him all this time. He's escaped, narrowly escaped, but he's always escaped. God, the devil gave him Ziklag. And boy, everything seemed to be going just great. I mean, he would make invasions to the south and you know areas around there that weren't didn't have to do with Judah and he'd come back and Achish would say, Where'd you where'd you make an inroad today? Oh, I made it south of Judah and I made he was lying. But everything seemed to be going just fine. Achish thought, Oh, he's gonna be my servant forever. Then the Philistines go to battle against Israel and they want him to go along. Now he's in a problem. Though he escapes that because the princes didn't trust him, Ziklag is burned while he's gone. And all his wives and the wives of his men and their children are taken captive. And life is never the same for David again. You see, we need to be steadfast in something. We must have a purpose. We must have a guiding principle, a philosophy of life, if you will. And that is, resist steadfast in the faith. In the faith. You know, we have, as Christians, we have something that that guides us or gives us a principle or a philosophy of life. And that is the Word of God. The, the phrase there, in, resist steadfast in the faith, refers to the, the body of revealed truth, the Word of God. In, in uh, Jude, in verse 3, he, t- he tells us to, that we're to earnestly contend for the faith. No, in other words, the, the whole body of revealed truth, the whole counsel of God. After all, it does not change. You know, Revelation 14, 6 talks about, this is during the tribulation, the angel is going to fly through the, the heavens declaring the everlasting gospel. The gospel doesn't change. God doesn't change. Your societies and cultures change, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we need to 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 uh, be steadfast in the faith. And the Bible tells us that there would be those that would change. In Acts chapter twenty, and verses twenty-six, <clears throat> excuse me, verse twenty-six through thirty. Paul reminded the Ephesian elders, and as you think about, as you read this, think about where's where's the church of Ephesus today. But the church church of Ephesus was one of the strongest churches in the book of Revelation. But notice what he says to the the elders at Ephesus or the pastors there, verse twenty six. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, the whole body of revealed truth faith once delivered to the saints take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock 
Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So, you know, he warned them that there was going to be those that would come in and not spare the flock. And they would cause problems and teach false doctrines and change, uh, try and change doctrines of the church. Uh, in in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he gives us some of the things that were being taught. 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, he warns Timothy, that in the last days there would be perilous times. In verse 4 he says they'd be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. These are church people. These are not agnostics. Well, they may be, but they're in churches. They're religious people. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn of way. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Uh, and excuse me, in verse 13 he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But So the challenge is to us that we must continue to interpret the Bible literally and apply it to everyday life, regardless of what anyone else says. Your First Corinthians ten thirty one says this: Whether therefore ye eat or drink, now that's our common practice. That's the things we do every day. That's a common common practice: eating or drinking, or whatsoever you do. That's comprehensive practice. In other words, that covers everything else. That eating and drinking doesn't, that covers everything else. It says, we're to do all of the glory of God. In other words, the Bible addresses every issue of life. Everything that pertains to every issue of life. And we're to do those things to, to glorify God. So whether I eat or drink, what I eat or drink, who we marry, or how we get to marriage. Uh... How to how to how, uh, uh, conduct ourselves in relationships, uh, developing relationships, who to have relationships with, and who not to have relationships with. The raising of children, or we can do like the world, just let them grow up. Isn't that what the world does? They don't raise children, they just let them grow up. They don't train them. They think when they turn 18 after they get out of school, they think that somehow they're going to know how to go to get a job and work. That's why the welfare rolls are growing. Because they haven't trained them. They haven't raised them. What I do with my time. Your time is something you never get back. What I do with my money. You know, everything that we have is the Lord's. And He's given us, He has made us stewards of it. And we're to honor Him with it. 
In other words, I, I'm not just to honor the Lord with my tithe and my offering. I'm supposed to honor my, the Lord with the rest of what he gave me too. That doesn't mean I have to give it all to the Lord, but I'm to use it in a way that pleases him, to be a good steward of it. It may be investing some of it for retirement. It may be, uh, you know, uh, uh, and how you purchase and all those things. So we'll be good stewards, making good, making good purchases, wise purchases, not just wasting our money. See, we need to, we need to have a, 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 an attitude like the Lord Jesus Christ did. In John six thirty eight, he said this: "For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me." So everything that we do ought to be to please and glorify the Lord. So we ought to be steadfast. And, you know, we can resist Satan being steadfast in the faith, seeking the Lord's will, letting His Word be our guiding principle or philosophy of life. But, you know, to do that, we have to be in it. We have to hear it. So we heard this morning. We have to be willing to hear it and allow it to transform our life. You know, sometimes, you know, some people have this idea, well, it's not really that important that I, you know, spend so much time in the Word of God or, or whatever, or, you know, it doesn't matter if I miss a service. Or, well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you. It's not real easy to change my mind. You might say I'm just stubborn. That's fine. But, you know, the more info I put in, the quicker I'm going to change. In other words, you know, if I'm studying a subject that I'm thinking maybe I should learn something about, the more information I put in, the more likely the possibility that I might adopt that philosophy. Okay, So the principle is true spiritually. The more time I spend in the Word of God and hearing the Word of God preached, the more likely it's going to change my life and conform me to the image of Christ. Therefore, being able to resist Satan effectively. So, we are. We need to recognize him. We have an enemy. We need to resist our enemy. And then thirdly, we need to rely on the resources God has given us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Notice verses uh, 10 through 13. It says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Savannah, the faithful brothers unto you, as I suppose, I have written, briefly exhorting and testifying, that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. A couple of things here, as we think about the resources God has given us. First of all, he's given us his grace. God of all grace. He is the God of all grace. You know, grace is not just simply 
his unmerited favor, it's also his enabling power. That favor that he gives to us. You know, yes, God didn't deny he favored Job. He didn't deny that. He didn't deny that he had a hedge about Job. He didn't deny that. But what he did deny was that Job doesn't serve me just because I favor him. That's what he did not deny. Hey, a New Testament church is a hedge of protection. It's a hedge. You know, we are in God's hand, Revelation tells us. And he's walking in the midst of his candlesticks. Do you think Satan could walk in the midst while he's in the midst? You know, God's grace is sufficient. You remember in this in First Corinthians they told Paul told the Corinthians to put this guy out of the church who had committed immorality to put him out for the affliction of the flesh that the, 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 for the destruction of the flesh the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus in other words they would put him out of the church so that Satan could afflict him see keeping him in the church was protecting him from the judgment that was due him see God's grace we need to we need to rest and and trust in the grace of God that is sufficient for our every need. Uh, Paul in Second Corinthians twelve nine, of course, you know he had that thorn in the flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove it from him, and the Lord said, "My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient." Uh, God's grace is sufficient. You know, God give us a promise in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen. There is, God does give us a promise. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And that's what Paul was, what the Lord was really saying to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient to you. You know, this thing isn't going to overwhelm you and destroy you, Paul. Just continue to trust me. Just continue to rest in my promises, to trust in my strength and not your own. Did it hinder Paul? Yeah, it did. He had trouble writing. He had trouble reading. He wrote with large letters. And then many times he wrote, with a, had a secretary pen, and he dictated. Sure, it was inconvenient. But think of this. A lost man would look at that and say, it's unbelievable how a man in that condition can do what he does. It's nothing short of a miracle. Yet he continued on. You see. So therefore, God was glorified in his infirmity. And God's grace was sufficient and proved to be a witness and testimony to the glory of God. So we need to rely on the Lord's grace. 
We need to be encouraged by the faithfulness of the brethren. Notice verses 12 and 13. Peter mentions here several of the brethren. Uh, He says, By Savannah, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written, briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Verse 13, The church of this Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. And in verse 9 again, he says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Do you ever feel like nobody understands what I'm going through? Nobody has gone through what I'm going through before. What's Peter saying here? Well, there's other brethren that are going through the same things you are. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And he says, here's Savannah, Silas, a faithful brother, in the midst of the trials. And he says, there's the church at Balabalon. And he said, Marcus is here. Mark. Or sometimes referred to as John Mark, who also traveled with Paul, and Sabanus traveled with Paul. He said, these are faithful brethren. In other words, there are others who are suffering, who are enduring the same trials that you and I are, that are doing it victorious, with victory. You know, we're not the only ones like us. We're not the only ones that look and say, you know, if I just change this and change this and change this and change this, we'd have 200 people. I mean, if we wouldn't stand on music and the Bible version issue and the rest issue, our church would be three times the size it is. Very quickly. But you know what? There's other churches like this too. But you know, when I go to other churches and I sit in there and it's a big, nice, big auditorium and they have 150 on Sunday morning and Wednesday night there might be 30. I'm kind of thankful for our little church. Because there's brethren who are faithful. You know, in Acts chapter 28, verse 15, <clears throat> Paul was greatly encouraged as he was on his way to Rome. And, and the, the, the Ephesian, no, not the, 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 some of the, no, 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 not sure where they're from. But anyway, the brethren came to meet him as far as I forum, I think it was. And, and the Bible says that he, he was, let me read it to you. Acts 28, verse 15. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Piaforum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Uh, so, so we can find encouragement and strength from the faithfulness of brethren. 
faithfulness of brethren. There are others like us. You know, one of, when Pastor Webb and I, uh, was it two years ago now, went out to uh, Missouri to that preacher's conference. That was encouraging. There was, there was I think there was uh, 65 or 75 preachers there. And, you know, we're independent Baptists, so we're, we're, not, we're not cookie cutters. Okay? We weren't like hot dogs, all the same size, comb our hair all the same, all the same way, and, and, and wear our beards all the same way, and, you know, and, and do exactly the same things in all of our churches. Some of us have stronger music standards than others. Uh, you know, we all have our differences, but we have a lot in common. And it was encouraging that there's more like us who are contending for the faith, who are who are uh, uh, earnestly uh, trying to remain steadfast in the Lord. And so we can find encouragement in that. And we also, another resource he gives us, is love of the brethren. Notice verse 14. Verse 14. Greet you one another with a, whole, with a kiss of charity. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I wouldn't recommend that. Not in our culture. They still do that in the East. Um, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. But the idea there is to have love of the brethren. The love of the brethren. In, in uh, chapter 4 again, verse 8, he says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Fervent charity. You know, in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as they see the day approaching. So we're to, we're to love one another and we're to encourage one another and to provoke one another in love. You know, and if we will, if we will, put these things into practice, God allows these things for a purpose. To fulfill His purpose. And I think the purpose is in verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. The word perfect simply means to mature. Speaks of spiritual development. Established means to make us stable, secure, unmovable. Of course, strengthen means to make us strong. And to settle, of course, refers to a foundation, something to which we can look back and remember God's faithfulness. So again, if we will take the admonition that the Lord gives us here, the advice, it will mature us. Maturity maturity comes through difficulty. I want you to think about this with me. Which group of children of the children of Israel were steadfast in their faith 
who acted and acted wisely. Which group? The children that came out of Egypt and lived in the wilderness or the children that got in the land and had all the abundance of things? The children that endured the hardships of the wilderness or the children that had all the abundance of things in the land? Which group of children were mature, were established, were strengthened to do what's right, and were settled in their faithfulness to God? Was it not the children that went through the wilderness? Those were the children. I mean, they were losing their parents left and right. But those were the children who the, their parents said would be a prey to the giants in the land. And those children God took into the land. And it says they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and they served the Lord all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. And it was their children who had the abundance of all things had ease that apostatize over and over and over again. You know, I used to joke with my kids, say, I'm just trying to build some character in your life. When they'd say things were just so hard, you know. I'm just trying to put some character in your life. But I wasn't joking. I was serious. I was a mean But you see, God allows trials and tests to mature us, to strengthen us, to establish us, to make us settled so that we're not given to change. So we need to take the advice that Peter gives us and apply these things. We need to recognize we have an enemy. We need to resist that enemy. Being steadfast in the faith. You know, earnestly contending for the faith. Striving to be obedient to the Lord. And rely not on our own strength, but on the resources that God has given us. His grace is sufficient. Being encouraged. Encouraging one another. Uh, being encouraged in the brethren. And having love one for another. Might God help us that we might be faithful through the turbulence that we see in the world tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for these truths. I pray that you'd help these young people to learn these truths. I pray that you'd help them to be steadfast in the faith. I pray, Father, that you'd help them to be, have wisdom to see by just looking at others and observing what others have gone through, have experienced from the testimony of those in Scripture, but also people they see in everyday life. That it is wise to be obedient to the Lord. It brings blessing and joy 
and rest. So I pray that you give them the wisdom to see those truths. And we pray in Jesus' name.